Hey guys, uh, this is our Avengers-centric episode, and just as a word of uh, thanks and appreciation, we're having a raffle. If you share our SoundCloud link or our iTunes link on your social media, uh, whichever social media you like to use, just let us know, and we will have a raffle and mail the winner a copy of Avengers World by Jonathan Hickman, the first three issues of his run on the Avengers. Yeah. So uh, you can go, once you've uh, shared our links on the social media of your choice, email us at betweenthegutterspodcast at, gmail. at gmail.com and we will submit your name for a raffle and who knows, you might be the lucky winner who gets to walk away with their very own copy of Avengers World. One of the greatest Avengers comics of all time. All right. Hello, coming at you live and direct from San Francisco, you are listening to Between the Gutters, the podcast where we talk about the stories within the panel. I'm one of your hosts, Drew Tan, and I'm with Albert Lamb. This is Ragin' Albert Lamb. Ragin' Albert Lamb, because he's always angry. Nothing brings me peace. He's kind of like the Hulk. <laughs> he's, he's, our, he's the Bruce Banner of our of our show yeah <laughs> and it's fitting that we start off on that note because as y'all know uh avengers infinity war the movie is coming out in a couple of weeks and we wanted to do an episode where we just talk about the avengers what makes them tick what makes them work and i guess we'll be talking about a lot of our favorite avengers stories yeah we might as well go on it's a it's a mini tour of the avengers universe and uh you know we hope that you join us. Yeah. Thanks for listening. So let's start off uh, simply by talking about what makes the Avengers work. What makes the Avengers... The Avengers. What makes a good Avenger story? So I was contemplating this earlier and I'm a little... Uh, it's hard for me to answer because... To find that defining thing that makes the Avengers special, it's it's... It's a little hard to pin down because I feel like it's all in their tagline, right? If their tagline is Avengers, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, mm-hmm. then then it comes to the question of, well, how is that any different from, like, the Justice League, which are DC's Earth's Mightiest Heroes? So I, it's something that I've been struggling with to try to understand. It, it, essentially, at the, the, the core or at the root of this question it's what makes the Avengers special? What mm-hmm. is it about the Avengers that makes an Avengers story? Yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Drew? Well, I think we can take that question from a few different angles. First of all, uh, you mentioned the JLA, the Justice League. And uh, I think when we think about what separates the Avengers and the Justice League, obviously both of them are the premier super teams of their respective universes. When I look at the Justice League, they're basically the pantheon of gods. I mean, you've got, you've got the, the heavy hitters yeah. of their world. You've got the Flash, you've got Superman, Wonder Woman, even Batman. You know, he's regarded as the god of preparation, yeah. essentially. Martian Manhunter, uh, Green Lantern, everybody 
on the Justice League is the most powerful, or at least among the most powerful uh, superheroes in, in their world. Whereas with the Avengers, uh, that's not necessarily the case. I mean, obviously you've got Thor and Iron Man. As you know, we're just speaking strictly about the mainstay in classic Avengers. Yeah. And Scarlet, which is really powerful. Uh, but when you think about some of the other characters who are on the team, like Black Widow or, or Hawkeye, they're not necessarily the most powerful or even maybe even the best at... Yeah. I mean, they could... I guess you could say they're the best at what they do, but they're not the only ones who are unique in, in having that. You know, like Hawkeye's... He's one of the greatest marksmen out there, but is he better than Bullseye? Yeah. Yeah, right? I mean, that's that's the thing. It's like, if they're not... If they're just a collection of great heroes, but they don't necessarily live up to Earth's mightiest, I guess. Like, yeah. I, it's... You know, they've, they've had a long history where they've had a lot of just random characters on the team. They've had the Swordsmen. And yeah. Guys like Dr. Druid. And, you know, just... There's just a whole bunch of Avengers that I can't... It's hard for me to look at them and say, yeah, I don't know if any of these guys even compares to the any of the seven in the Justice League, you know, the, the primary seven. Yeah. Or, you know, if you want to include, like, Plastic Man or something like that. Yeah, you know, who's still a powerhouse in his own right. He is, he is. When you compare the, the power levels of DC's heroes, they're clearly on a different scale from the Marvel heroes. Yeah. So maybe that's not the most fair comparison we could make. But if even if we're looking at the Avengers in comparison to the other big Marvel superhero teams, when you look at each of the teams, there's always something that kind of sets them apart, right? When you look at the Fantastic Four, they're not just a superhero team, but they're a family. Yeah. When you look at the X-Men... They're not just a superhero team, but they're a, a team of outcasts. Yeah. Their their tagline is they're sworn to protect a world that hates yeah. and fears them. I've always I've always looked kind of at the X Men kind of as activist. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's a big part of their DNA. Yeah. Uh, as just where how they were created, just just in terms of the stories that you tell with them, because there's so much of them is tied into you know, political messaging. So I guess if I had to, yeah, like, so if you compare, if you were to say that the Fantastic Four is a family and the X-Men were, you know, I guess like social justice warriors in the <laughs> literal sense. <laughs> um, Can't tell if that's a compliment or an insult. Uh, I don't necessarily, I'm not one of those people that uses it as an insult. Okay, I okay. I don't use it disparagingly. Um, I guess the thing that makes, for Marvel at least, if we, if we were to, purely restrict this to the Marvel Universe, then I guess the thing that makes the Avengers the Avengers is that they've always been kind of the premier team. They, mm-hmm. They've re- represented the best of all the heroes. Basically, if you, if you were a superhero in the Marvel Universe, there was no better sign that you had made it than being an Avenger. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... That, Definitely. Yeah, they, they were government-sanctioned... Or they've got varying degrees of government sanctions mm-hmm. depending on who's writing it at the time or yeah. whatever the status quo is at the time. And, um, yeah, like, the X-Men existed, but people didn't necessarily 
want to join up with the X-Men in, in, in their universe. You know, your, right. your, your average person right. on the street in the Marvel Universe uh, didn't think about joining the Fantastic Four because they're a family. They're already set in stone. They, you know, you, the only way in is by marrying into their family. You know, yeah. they're kind of comic book royalty, I guess, in that sense. Yeah. And, um, and the Avengers was the one that you wanted to be a part of because they were, I guess, the rock stars of yeah. the Marvel Universe. They were loved and adored, not yeah. hated and feared. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I think it's interesting that you brought that up because just the fact that uh, they're considered, in within the Marvel Universe, they're considered the premier superhero team. But in real life, from a reader's and audience perspective, the X-Men have actually been the premier superhero team for a really long time. And I don't think it's been until the last maybe 10 or 15 years or so when the Avengers started to kind of reclaim that premier level. Yeah, yeah. like in their world, that was that was the team that they touted, but... If you just looked at who the kids followed or what comics we were buying, yeah, the X Men were sales, constantly sales just members. It. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ever since ever since the late seventies, early eighties, all the way through most of the nineties and early two thousands, the X Men were Marvel's premier superhero team in terms of real world sales. Yeah, they were the most popular. They were yeah, yeah exactly. But I think going back to. Uh, just what makes an Avengers story special. When we think about how uh, the Avengers are, in their universe, they're regarded as the premier superhero team, but when they first began in the early days, that wasn't necessarily the case either. Like, I think back to the time when, uh, like, early on in, in, the, in the story, in their, in their run, uh, they had Cap's kooky quartet, right? You had Captain America. Like the team originally started with uh, Giant Man, the Wasp, the Hulk, the Hulk, Thor, Thor, Iron Man. Yeah, and that was th those were essentially the powerhouses that existed in the Marvel universe at the time. Yeah, like early '60s. Yeah, they were the the probably the most the biggest draws. Yeah, of, outside of the Fantastic Four and Spider Man. Yeah, and then I think w once you got to uh, like the the fourth or fifth issue of, of the original 60s run of the Avengers, that was when they brought back Cap. And then a little while after that, the roster completely turned around and all the original members left. And it was Captain America, Hawkeye, Quicksilver, and Scarlet Witch. Yeah. And all three of those, other than Cap, uh, Hawkeye, Quicksilver, and Scarlet Witch, they had all been uh, villains up to yeah. that point, and then all of a sudden, they're Avengers. Yeah. Yeah, and the Avengers throughout their entire history have, they've been a team that has been, I mean, the signature th thing about their team is that their, their team roster has changed constantly. Yeah. Like, it's, it's not like the Justice League where, the ideal Justice League team is the top seven. You know, you have Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Martian Manhunter, Green Lantern, uh, Flash. Flash, and Aquaman. Yeah. You know, like, that's that's kind of how everyone had, has viewed that team. The Avengers don't have that. I mean, I think, ideally, for most people, they would want to have Captain America, Thor, and Iron Man. Those are the big three. Those are the big three that you always have to have, or, you know, that a lot of people would like, but... We've seen all sorts of iterations of the team that didn't have those guys. Yeah. There, there was an entire period where Thor, 
was totally not on the team. And then another period where Captain America, or, yeah. you know, Steve Rogers, Captain America, wasn't on the team. Yep. You know? So, so I guess what, I've, what I kind of think, in order to answer the initial question, I guess the Avengers are basically who Marvel says they are. <laughs> <laughs> well, another thought did occur to me. Um, well, what's that tagline uh, from the very first Avengers issue where Loki shows up and like basically he 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 plans and he I think so the very first Avengers story that was ever written was about how Loki shows up and he he plays tricks on these on these heroes and then uh, instead of getting them to destroy each other, they end up becoming a team, and they basically womp on him, you know? Yeah. But I think the tagline was... Dude, I've some, got it. I've got it, dude. What is it? I'm, I'm just going to read it. Yeah. From uh, the book of the Avengers, chapter 1, verse... <laughs> <laughs> Avengers 316 says... <laughs> and there came a day, a day unlike any other, when Earth's mightiest heroes and heroines found themselves... United against a common threat. On that day, the Avengers were born to fight the foes that no single superhero could withstand. Through the years, their roster has prospered, changing many, changing many times, but their glory has never been denied. Heed the call, then, for now, the Avengers assemble. And I think that actually sums it up quite nicely. Um, it's not really about their power set, as or to my interpretation of that. The, the idea is more that this is a team that unites to face the threats that no other heroes or uh, no single hero on their own can mm -hmm. can defeat on their own, right? Yeah. So the X-Men are going to be the X-Men because their cause is, you know, mutant rights. Yeah, they're, and, they're united by yeah. the X-Gene. Yeah, and the Fantastic Four, they go, they're a science... Team, right, they're they're science heroes, so they go around and their whole thing is exploration and adventures and you know and they'll save the world. But that's the draw here, or at least I think that's the draw for the Avengers. Mm -hmm. Is so it it doesn't say that they have to be, you know, individually they may not have to be the most powerful heroes out there. Yeah, but exactly. united they yeah. they are the mightiest that Earth has to offer. Yeah, exactly to face the threats, to face the threats. Yeah. They're fighting battles that other heroes may not be prepared for or may not be ready to fight. Yeah. And maybe even individually, as as uh, individual team members, the Avengers might not be ready to fight those threats. But when they unite, that's when they're able to, you yeah. know, do some heroism. Yeah. So, I guess, if you look at the power set, if you, like, don't look at the power set so much and just... For me, if I just focus on the aspect that aspect of the Avengers, of of their, what do you call that? That's not a slogan, like it's Avengers three sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! And he spoke it. <laughs> yeah, but if you look at that um, that quote from that very first Avengers comic, uh, I, I think that sums it up. You know, it's 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 kind of. For me, it feels like the team is almost defined by the threats. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's a that's a good way of looking at it. They're yeah. a team that's defined more by the threats than they are necessarily by their cause. Yeah, because their cause is simply to 
defeat the foes that no single hero could withstand. Yeah. Alright. Glad we settled that. Yeah. Now, so, keep that in mind whenever you watch the Avengers movies or whenever you read an Avengers comics, kids. Yeah. <clears throat> so, moving forward? Yeah. Let's talk about uh, some of our favorite Avengers stories. Let's go with it. What do you want to start with? I think, chronologically speaking, it makes sense to mm -hmm. start with something a little earlier yeah. in their run. So, we can talk about something that you included on your list. Avengers Under Siege by Roger Stern and John Lissima. Yeah. Yep. And Tom Palmer. And Tom Palmer. Yep. So, Drew, can you give a brief synopsis of uh, yeah. this work? So, Under Siege is a storyline that took place in the Avengers comic back in the, I want to say, mid-80s. I don't remember the exact year. Uh, the concept of the of the story is one of their Avenger, one of the Avengers' greatest uh, long-running uh, rogues, rogues or villains, foes, foes yeah. were the Masters of Evil. So the Masters of Evil, it's it's kind of funny, right? It's a total comic book thing. They call them themselves the Masters of Evil. Like, you, you, could you really imagine somebody in the real world calling their organization that? Yeah, but. Anyway, that's what that's just what they're called, and you got to roll with it. If you can't really swallow that, then just don't read superhero comics. Yeah, I mean it's it's just part of it. Yeah, yeah. So the original Masters of Evil back in the '60s, uh, I think it was that was I want to say Baron Zemo and a bunch of other uh, villains that weren't really too uh, notable, uh, and they would always get beat up by the Avengers every time they try to enact their schemes. Yeah, they would always get stomped by the Avengers, and then. This story came out, and this was a story that reimagined the Masters of Evil as a true threat to the Avengers. And we talked, we just talked about how the Avengers are kind of defined by their foes. So in this one, Baron Zemo ends up thinking, "Okay, we failed a bunch of times to beat the Avengers, but what if, what if instead of just doing what we always do, we expand the roster?" Because why does it always have to be an even battle? Why does it have to be a fair fight? Yeah. So he recruits over a dozen supervillains to help him. So you got like Absorbing Man and I think Titania, uh, the Wrecking Crew, yeah, uh, Moonstone, all these all these villains that probably uh, won't really mean much to the average person unless you really follow superhero comics. But basically, Baron Zemo gets a whole bunch of superheroes or supervillains so that they outnumber the Avengers by two to one. Then they, then they take advantage of infighting and drama within the Avengers. Basically, go to the mansion, kick every everybody's butt, and really mess them up. Yeah, physically and psychologically. Yeah. Mister Hyde's on the team. Yeah. Another heavy hitter, uh, Goliath. Yeah, I I really feel like <clears throat> this was an idea that was expanded on several times in like other books, but. Um, yeah, just that idea where, where you were saying that instead of, instead of, traditionally speaking with a lot of these stories where you have the, the superhero team and you have their, uh, primary antagonist, which are guys like, um, you know, they usually try to get like a one for one opposite. So yeah. it's like, it's Captain America. We're going to get a guy who doesn't use a shield. <laughs> Take that. And it's, you know. Or he's going to fight Baron Zemo. Yeah. And yeah, then yeah, yeah. Thor's going to fight. Absorbing man, yeah. because 
They're That's already enemies. His, yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's basically the A-list, or not necessarily A-list, but whoever is on the roster of the Avengers takes on one of their enemies, and it becomes this one-for-one, like, uh, conflict. Yeah. But um, I do like that idea that you mentioned here where Baron Zemo was just like, you know what? Let's just raise an army yeah. of dudes and just stomp on these fools. Yeah. And it's it's an idea that we would see later on in other comics like Wanted mm-hmm. or The Ultimates. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think it's it's to, to see it here for the first time, it's pretty impressive, you know, that this would be kind of the, the seed that future stories would come from yeah and it's it's also uh, i think what stands out is the fact that this avengers team isn't your traditional avengers team it doesn't have iron man thor is in it but he's technically not really part of the team at this point in time Mm -hmm. but they end up calling him for backup once they realize how dire the stakes are captain america's on the team but he's actually not the leader because at the at this point in time they had they had a thing where the chairperson would be the leader, and I guess that was someone that the team voted on to be leader. So Wasp was the leader, and then you had uh, Photon, or was that her name back then? Uh, Monica Rambo. I forget if her name was Photon or I, Captain I Marvel at the time, but anyway, she's on the team. Captain America. Was uh, Yellow Jacket on the team at this point? No. Yellow, or was he going under something No, uh, but Scott Lang shows up as Ant-Man. He's technically right. not part of the team. Uh, Black Knight and Hercules are on the team. Yeah. Uh, funny thing about the story, uh, I mentioned some of the, the drama that kind of tore the team apart. Hercules, he was a pretty, uh, I guess, uh, a, just a chauvinistic, sexist kind of dude. Yeah. So he didn't really take too well to the Wasp being in charge. I remember this. Yeah. So he just didn't want to follow a woman into <laughs> Exactly. <combat. laughs> he didn't want to follow her orders. And yeah. uh, he ends up getting so mad that she's leader and telling him what to do that he goes off to a bar by himself, gets super drunk, uh, and then he gets his butt kicked by the wrecking crew and, yeah. and Mr. Hyde. And with their powerhouse down, the whole team is... It's pretty vulnerable. Yeah. The team takes over the mansion. They basically tie up Black Knight and Captain America. And then they get Jarvis. He's a he's their butler. Yeah. And like, they, they mess him up yeah. and force Captain America to watch as they torture poor old Jarvis. Yeah. It's a pretty iconic moment. Like I you know, if if you were growing up reading comics or if you ever bought the cards, that was something that they always mentioned was, you know, you beat Jarvis within an inch of his life. Yeah. You know? And yeah. In a lot of ways, this was a story, even though the Avengers eventually came out on top, it was kind of a Pyrrhic victory because they got hit where it hurts. Yeah. Their, the mansion was completely destroyed, and the story ends on a pretty downbeat note. Yeah. Where, yeah, Captain America and Baron Zemo have their battle at the end, but after, after Cap wins, uh, all he can really do is look at the tattered remains of the mansion, and then he finds... His uh his Footlocker and and they've the soup the Masters of Evil have already messed up everything in it and he finds this photograph of his mother that's torn up and he just holds it and looks at it sadly and he just says something like this was the only photograph I had of my mother and they took that from me. Dang. Yeah. That's that's rough. It's a it's a sad downbeat emotional moment. I mean he's he cries man. Yeah. They made Cap cry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just looking at it, that totally makes sense. Um, this is Earth's Mightiest Heroes. 
and these guys totally came into their house and ate just, all their food. They laid waste to it. Beat up their butler. <laughs> exactly. They showed them photographs. that they weren't invulnerable. Yeah. You know? It's yeah, a, it's a classic it's story. It's a classic story. Definitely. Definitely worth checking out. Avengers Under Siege. What's next on our list, Drew? Uh, you have any 90s stories you want to talk about? Or even stuff that came out from the 60s or 70s. To be honest, I wasn't super invested in, in those stories. I don't think any of the old, really old stuff really hit me. Same here. Um, I didn't really... I think I was following the Avengers in the 90s upon Heroes Return. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything, I'm more aware of their bad stuff than I am of their yeah. good stuff. <laughs> Because there was a lot of bad stuff, um, but, you know, hey, it's part of their history, and you can't deny that. There was a period where there, there was this 90s team where they just, they were really trying to mimic the X-Men, so everyone had, like, flight jackets, and it, yeah. was, it was, and... They had a character with claws. The, yeah. Your favorite, yeah. Death Cry. Death Cry. It was a, it was a funky moment for them. <laughs> And then on top of that, uh, for the longest time, they they had this story where all the heroes of Earth died, and or were presumed dead, and Earth was Earth was vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So the remaining heroes who who had to step up were significantly lower on, or not significantly lower, but lower on the power scale. Yeah, it felt like. Yeah. But during this period, it was really a, a marketing strategy from, or not, I don't know, marketing strategy is the word, but basically Marvel wanted to get these high, high, highly recognized artists who came out of their company, and it was an opportunity to work with them again, so yeah. they started producing all these comics with uh, Will Spertaccio on Iron Man, and Jim Lee on the Fantastic Four, and Rob Liefeld on the Avengers, <laughs> and that, that was kind of, again, this is, this was not I'm sure there's someone out there who looks fondly upon this period of Avengers comics. But um, they're not on our show today. Yeah. Um, and then after that, what happened was you had the heroes return. And that's I think that's where I would... that That's an era of the Avengers that I would look upon with some fondness. Um, it was basically a more back-to-business approach. Mm-hmm. And it was written by Kurt Busiek. And yep. drawn by George Perez, along with some other yeah, artists. Yeah, George Perez probably drew it for maybe the first three years or so, and yeah. then a few other artists came yeah. on board. He but, drew a significant but, Yeah, Kurt Busiek wrote it until, I want to say, close to around issue 60 or so. Yeah, yeah. Or at least 50-something. Yeah. And Kurt Busiek's approach was... If you don't know Kurt Busiek, then um, it would probably help to know that he's... He's got a lot of love for comics, and he's got a lot of love for these characters, and it shows when mm-hmm. he writes about them, you know? Like, uh, when he was writing his Avengers run, he basically brought it back to its kind of golden days and just yeah. really made it about just, this is the Earth's mightiest heroes, and he put kind of stacked the deck and just filled the team with everyone, it felt like. You yeah. know, there was a point where... There was this one cover, uh, I think it might have been like an anniversary issue or something, where it's just all of them on the cover, and it's it's overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I think that was how the that volume of Avengers launched, with everybody uh, falling back in time or something and fighting Morgan Le Fay. Yeah, yeah. 
but as uh, as the series progressed, he did settle in on a set roster yeah. with a few characters here and there that Some would old, rotate. Some new. Yeah, so it was a good mix of of old and, and new Avengers. I mean, yeah. he had Cap, Iron Man, and, and Thor, uh, the Vision, Scarlet Witch. Yeah, a lot of classics. Yeah, you know, and then you know, every once in a while, you'd have characters who had been Avengers show up, like Black Panther. Yeah. Uh, or Hawkeye, and then uh, he brought in a couple of characters who hadn't been Avengers and made them part of the team, like uh, Justice and Firestar, yeah, who yeah. had been part of the New Warriors. New Warriors. Exactly. And I think he had two characters like that he... I think... I, I imagine he created them, like... Uh, triathlon. And Triathlon, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. So it was a good mix of yeah. uh, styles, or a good mix of characters. His style... Yeah. I was going to say, uh, Kurt Busiek's style when he wrote the comic was very traditional style. If you think about how old comics from the 60s and 70s uh, had a lot of words, I think Busiek's comics were kind of along the same lines where there was definitely a lot of dialogue. They were pretty yeah. dense. And I think George Perez's art, because it looks kind of dated, yeah. even when it came out uh, in the early 2000s, late 90s, it, it looks kind of like... An 80s comic, yeah, because of his style. He'd been drawing for a really long time, even up to that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I think, uh, despite that kind of old school style, it's it still works because the stories are are well told. Kurt Busiek, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say it's necessarily his best writing because I know, having read a bunch of his comics, he's not <coughs> he's not always this wordy, uh, purple prose kind of writer. But I think he intentionally wrote his run on Avengers, especially with George Perez. I think he intentionally wrote it that way as kind of a... Because he loved that old style, yeah, yeah, yeah. old school style of storytelling. Yeah. And just the, the drama, the soap opera, and yeah. the superheroic dynamics of it all. Soap opera is a perfect word, describe, way to describe it, because it really... There was a lot of elements of his run that were melodramatic, Yeah, you know, like... He brought back the love triangle between Wonder Man, Vision, and Scarlet yep. Witch, and yep. uh, you know, he, he worked all those elements of even kind of the more ridiculous aspects of their history, and kind of brought it back and gave it a little bit of love, like you know, Wonder Man dying repeatedly and coming back to life repeatedly, yeah. stuff like that, you know. Yeah, but he's able to do it in a way that just yeah. makes you feel like you're reading a really good yarn. It's not anything that makes you feel, oh, this is so quaint, I can't even... Yeah. I can't believe this is yeah. supposed to be modern or whatever. Yeah. But it, it's, it holds up, and I think there are a couple uh, stories in there that are regarded as stone-cold classics. There are a lot of high points. Actually, if you look at the list that we, um, you know... If, our, if you look at the list between me and you of uh, Greatest Avengers stories, mm-hmm. he's got several arcs of his... Uh, that could easily be counted as, you know, just kind of iconic moments. Yeah, Ultron yeah. Unlimited, um, for sure. Yeah. That's looked at looked upon as one of the greatest Avengers comics of all time. Yeah, and one of the greatest Ultron stories of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you want to go into Avenger, uh, Ultron Unlimited? Oh, yeah, I'll just talk a little bit about what the story's about since we mentioned it. But that story was about Ultron taking over an entire fictional uh, country in Europe Basically, within a matter of hours, he creates uh, a bunch of uh, robotic uh, duplicates of himself. Yeah. And they raise this entire country, killing, slaughtering all the millions of citizens that live there. Yeah. And 
and uh, promising even worse for the rest of the of the planet. Yeah. And the world is basically in shock and disarray, and it's up to the Avengers to fly in there and put an end to this threat. I mean, right. it's it's probably the deadliest uh, Ultron you've ever seen. I mean, the bloodshed is... It's not graphically depicted in the comic, but they clearly st- say that, like, men, women, that, and children yeah. are all getting slaughtered. Yeah. All of these organic... He wiped out an entire yeah. city. Yeah. An yeah. entire country. Country. Yeah. yeah. So the Avengers have to stop him, and it's a... Uh, it's, it basically climaxes with with uh, a really powerful Hank Pym moment because uh, Hank Pym in the comics, he's the one who actually was responsible for the creation of Ultron. Yeah. So that's something that was different from the movie version where in the movie, Tony Stark created him. Yeah. But yeah, in the comics, Hank Pym, he's always lived with a sense of guilt because of Ultron. And this story has a... It, it takes it to a pretty satisfying uh, resolution Yeah. that involves... A lot of punching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there are just some great moments in this. There's that one scene where the first squad of Avengers that goes in, they just get messed up and... Wait. Yeah, so uh, Ultron ends up getting a hold of Hank Pym. Yeah. And Wonder Man and... Wasp. Wasp. Was the Vision there too? Uh, I, th- I think the Vision was in there. Uh, yeah. Grim Reaper. Basically, yeah. the Basically family... Basically, who he considers his family because... Again, Ultron was created by Hank Pym, Hank Pym, and a lot of um, there are a lot of characters within the Avengers universe that have familial a familial relate connection to Hank Pym. So Ultron's uh, narrative is kind of tied to that as well, and he he views them in this. He views Hank Pym as his father. He views Hank, Hank Pym as his father, a father he despises. At yeah, that, and yeah. It's it's um. Yeah, it's it's an interesting character dynamic to have that essentially this robot who who just who hates his father so much but that he spends all of his time and energy trying to best him mm-hmm. to be better than his father ever was. Yeah. You know? That's some uh that's a he takes pettiness to a whole nother yeah. tier. That's some Freudian stuff right there. Yeah. <laughs> totally. But in the scene they're all tied up, and he has his family, and he's... I think he's copying their uh, brain patterns yeah. or something, because he wants to... I don't know if they explicitly said it, but the implication was that he wanted to create his own family from their brain patterns. Yeah, basically like, he wanted to create the robot master race. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, the second squad of Avengers comes, and they're just... It's kind of like that scene in... Um, Age of Ultron in the movie where mm-hmm. it's just them fighting off a bunch of Ultron yeah. duplicates. And then... You could definitely see how this comic influenced that movie. Definitely. Yeah, like that battle alone is, yeah. is strongly taken from this story. Yeah. But there's this great moment where it ends where, you know, Ultron's being kind of a classic diabolical supervillain and just kind of going at length and talking and, you know, talking about his plans or whatever. And then it suddenly... Like, a wall collapses, and it's Captain America and Thor and... Black Panther, Panther. Firestar. Yeah, a bunch of the other Avengers. And you can tell Thor is pissed, and he's just looking at Ultron, and he goes, Ultron, we would have words with thee. (laughs) That's one of the most iconic moments in Avengers history. Yeah, like, 
that's a moment I was kind of disappointed they didn't include in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, that was a missed opportunity right there. Like, reading that, if you see that moment, there, there's a part of me that wanted to get up and cheer. Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's one of the most iconic one-liners in Marvel Comics history, I yeah, would say. Yeah, totally, totally. Ultron, we would have words with me. Yeah. So that that was one of the highlights of Busiek's run. I think he also did a, a story called The Kang Dynasty, which was a story about another one of the Avengers' greatest villains, Kang the Conqueror, who's yeah. basically, just to keep it brief, he's a time-traveling uh, despot who's, who sets out to conquer all these different timelines especially stuff in the past, and he loves fighting the Avengers. And in this story, he actually succeeds in conquering Earth. Yeah. So he launches a full-scale invasion of Earth and basically conquers the planet and the stories about the Avengers trying to retake it. Yeah. Um, for people who haven't read the Busiek run on Avengers, uh, the Kang Dynasty is was this really long, mm-hmm. like, arc uh, I don't remember how many issues it was, but it, it was, must have been at least sixteen. Yeah, it was. It was essentially the culmination of all of Busiek's work yeah. on the Avengers. It was kind of where he wanted to leave off before he jumped off the Avengers to do other things. So there were all these other stories that he'd been building up throughout his entire run with the Avengers that led that were leading up to this moment in time. So people that. <clears throat> People that don't uh, haven't read the Kang Dynasty, it was a story that really took advantage of the fact that the Avengers were such a big team because mm-hmm. there were Kurt Busiek sets up four planetary threats at this point. There's this giant pyramid from space coming to Earth <laughs> that tied into Triathlon and his backstory. <laughs> Um, there were these zombies that were coming from Russia that were tied into, um, that was just the current threat, and that, the, the first threat that sort of kicked it off, and then on top of that, they, they had Kang coming with his army from the future, and, and I thought this was cool at the time, was they took another obscure villain from Canada the master of the world, and... <laughs> that was his name? Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that was his name. I, I, I need to look it up again, but a squad of Avengers went there to up to Canada because all these constructs were appearing, so the team was kind of just stretched at its limits mm-hmm. dealing with multiple threats, Yeah, and it gets to a point where things get so bad that, again, like you said... Because they're just stretched so thin, Kang ultimately ends up taking over the world, and he even sets up prison camps where Wonder Man and Scarlet Witch and various other Avengers are just forced to be his prisoners, and it's it's this really amazing just build-up of it's truly a test of the Avengers. That's 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 what I liked about that story. It was just... The, you even had... They even pulled in characters from... Uh, a core... Or a, a, a subgroup of the Avengers where it was... I guess they had like a space core or something like that. So they had like... I think his name was Living Lightning or something like that. Oh, yeah, Quasar. yeah. Yeah. And, and so you had Avengers from that part 
of their team, along with just other random heroes that you wouldn't normally see. Mm-hmm. And it was Kurt Busiek getting his opportunity to just play with, play with, and use every and any Avenger that he could get his hand on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a good story, man. Yeah. Another, uh, some other highlights from Busiek's run. He did a, a 12-issue miniseries called Avengers Forever. That was, that was a, basically a love letter to the Avengers franchise. And I think it might be a tough story to really uh, get into if, if, you, if it's like your first Avengers comic ever. Because the premise of this comic is... It's another Kang story, so you know it's going to involve time travel. And it even has uh, Kang's future self named Immortus, who's another one of the Avengers villains. But it, it's basically a story where a bunch of different Avengers pulled from different time periods throughout their entire history, as well as their future, have to come together uh, to, to beat this. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. There's not really a whole lot much more to say about that. Uh, but it, it's a good story that basically testifies to the lasting power uh, of, the, of the Avengers as a team. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's well said, well put. It's I, I do feel like, yeah, that that was the cool thing about it was that it just drew Avengers from various points in their history, including future Avengers. Yeah, kind of setting it up for potential future stories. Exactly, and it's just a fun idea. It, it's a totally fun idea, yeah. and it, it's Kurt Busiek and Carlos Pacheco doing superhero comics at their best. Yeah. Another thing that uh, Busiek did, this was with George Perez again, uh, they did the JLA Avengers crossover. So if you've ever wanted to see the JLA fight the Avengers and have a story that actually remotely makes sense, (laughs) this would be the one. Yeah. It's, yeah, a little bit of backstory behind this. I I feel like, I think at the time, there had been talks for a long time about doing some sort of crossover between the JLA and the Avengers for a really long time. Yeah, it went back as far as the 80s, I think. Yeah, so this was a story that took, that was decades in the making. Yeah, they finally did this comic back in around, I want to say 2002 or 3. Yeah, a lot of the conflict was basically revolved around who was allowed to beat up who in the story. Yeah. (laughs) Because, you know, neither company wanted to have their guy get beat up because it would make them look bad. Yeah. I guess. I'm not. I'm not sure if that mandate still held true by the time Busiek and Perez did JLA Avengers. Yeah. Uh, but I know that was definitely a big source of contention throughout right. like, the decades, and anytime they had a crossover. Well, didn't they say that the um, the compromise was? So the big one was Thor and Superman. Yeah. A lot of people were there. It's it's a constant argument that people kind of debate that people have about who could beat who in a fight, but. Um, Superman's clearly a bigger name mm-hmm. than Thor, but Thor, um, on paper, should be able to. He's got a he's got a shot. He's got a shot, right? He could. There's a chance he should be able to hurt Superman pretty badly. He's yeah. magic, and he's up there in terms of his strength level. Yeah. But, and you know, tell me if this is just something I'm pulling out of my butt or something like that. But gross. <laughs> yeah, we're pretty gross. <laughs> But, um, didn't they make some sort of compromise where Superman would be able to beat up Thor, but then the other heroes would be allowed to, would have to, yeah, I don't, in response, take Superman out, so that way the, it 
evened it out yeah, in terms I, of it? I, I, I remember, that a myth? <laughs> I remember reading uh, an interview with Busiek at some point, and I don't remember if... So here's the thing. I don't know if this was an editorial mandate or something that Marvel and DC said had to happen, but I think Busiek on his own... <laughs> Uh, just thinking from the perspective of a writer and as a fan, yeah. he, his attitude was okay. Uh, I mean, if you read this, if you read the fight, basically what Superman says, like they have a, a huge knockdown, dragout battle, and uh, Thor is about to lay this massive blow with Mjolnir, but Superman blocks it with his hand, and Thor is just in shock. And basically, Superman says something. I think he literally says, "In my world, the dials go to 11. Yeah. You know, total spinal tap moment right there. <laughs> yeah. Which is true, you know, like I as a as a comic book reader, uh superhero fan, like I can't really dispute that. And he's able to, to knock out Thor after that. But the bottom line is that Thor had messed up Superman so bad that after Superman finally knocked out Thor, Superman was totally spent. And when the other Avengers saw that Superman had knocked out Thor they got really pissed off. Yeah. So four or five of the heavy hitters like She-Hulk and Hercules and Iron Man and Wonder Man and Vision, they all fly straight to Superman when he's already in this weakened, woozy state. Yeah. And they just start laying a beat down on him <laughs> because they're just like, you don't do that to Thor. You can't do that to him. Sucker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and then they mess him up. But right, I think right before Superman collapses from his wounds, he basically says something to the effect of how Thor might have been the toughest battle he's ever fought. And yeah. I remember reading this this interview with Busiek where he said, he wrote that line of dialogue specifically as a, you know, basically just to say, you know, he's never, Doomsday might have killed Superman, but Thor was a tougher battle for him. You know, that was the, that was that the was intent. The that was the intent. I don't know if it was a concession because, again, I'm saying I don't know if Marvel or DC said you have to have the fights. Well, have I, this I don't mean outcome. concession to to Marvel or DC, but just concession to fans of Superman or fans of Thor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. So it, it's a it's a really fun comic. Uh, it might be harder to find now because I think it's out of print, and Marvel and DC are not on good terms right now. <laughs> so there's probably a low chance that they're gonna publish this again. Yeah. Did they ever make a hard copy or... I think they did make an oversized hardcover at some point. It might have even been uh, along the lines of an Absolute Edition. Ooh. I'm sure it's pretty expensive now. Yeah. I think your best bet is to look for the original issues. Uh, it was four issues long, prestige format, so they're larger than normal. Yeah. You just have to look for them in a back issue bin at your, your local comic book store. Or, I guess, look for it online or something. Awesome. So moving forward, I think chronologically speaking, uh, it makes sense to bring up another era of Avengers. It's a, it was a little shorter lived, but I do think that there were some really good stories that came out of it. Yeah, uh, we're talking the Avengers by Geoff Johns. What did you call him? Geoff. Geoff. Gif. G e o f f. I thought you just pronounced that Jeff. I thought that was spelled J-E-F-F. I've seen Jeff and Jeffrey spelled with a G-E-O-F. But in Game of Thrones, it's Joffrey. But his name is spelled J-O-F-F. -F. So it actually is spelled Joff 
It sounds like Joffrey because it's spelled like Joffrey. I'm gonna call him Geoff. Geoff? Sure. Geoff. <laughs> He's not my personal friend. I don't owe him anything. <laughs> Jeff Johns. Jeff Johns. <laughs> Yes, there was a time when Jeff Johns wrote for Marvel Comics. Now he's obviously a high-ranking executive at DC. Yeah. Known for all of his DC work, uh, not only in, in comics, but in the TV shows and the movies as well. Yeah. DC stuff. But yeah, this was early on in Jeff Johns' career. This was when he was still a writer and just kind of finding his way yeah, he was, in the comic yeah, world. Yeah. He wrote uh, The Avengers right after Busiek finished his run, actually. Yeah. And, um, I, there, so the, there are three arcs that I can think of. There's World Trust, Red Zone, and Search for She-Hulk. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I'll be honest when I say that the other w stories weren't necessarily stories that resonated with me, but mm -hmm. Red Zone, I felt, was a perfect story in and of itself. Yeah. It's, it's something where... If they made it into a movie and just, you know, it was a single standalone movie that they would never have to make a sequel or a prequel to, or as a part of a trilogy, on its own, it's perfect. Yeah, that yeah. would work. Yeah. It's, so the story of Red Zone is that there's a terrorist attack where this red mist, this red biological weapon is unleashed on an unknowing populace. Yeah, and at Mount Rushmore, no at, less. At Mount Rushmore, and the Avengers have to respond, mm -hmm. and they have to... They show up a little too late, because by the time they get there, the people are already suffering from the attack, and then it becomes a matter of figuring out who was behind it. And how to stop it from happening again. Exactly. Do you think... Uh, is it something that's worth spoiling, or...? Uh... Yeah, let's... Let, you know what? Let's let's spoil it. I, I, I don't have a problem. Well, yeah, what do you I don't have a problem. I mean, it's a 15-year-old story. So. Yeah, and I think, to be honest, if you're looking for good comics to read, the more information we give you, I feel like that would compel you to read it more, mm -hmm. if anything. Yeah. Again, like, this comic has been around for 15 years or so. If not more. If not more. Yeah. And if you're just looking for comics that sum up Everything that's good and great about the Avengers, I don't think it hurts to let you know kind of the, what the bigger plot points are or, you know, who the villains are. And all, all that extra information should just make you want to read it more, realistically speaking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So go, go ahead, Drew. So the Avengers discover that the individual behind uh, the biological weapons attack is actually the Red Skull. One of Captain America's deadliest foes. Yeah. And most hated enemies. Yeah. I mean, he's a Nazi. He's made for hating. Yeah. Yeah. But... So, so the, the reason why the Red Skull was able to unleash this was because he had actually uh, created a, a fake identity and infiltrated the American government to the point where he became uh, Secretary of Defense. Yeah. Which was a... I mean... Okay, if you really step back and think about it, maybe that you could say, "Oh, that's kind of far-fetched." But, but when you look at it in the from the point of view of just enjoying the the comic for what it is, up to this point, uh, the Red Skull hadn't been seen for a couple of years. But there had been a character uh, called Del Rusk, 
who had been uh, who was introduced in the Avengers in in the earlier before the Red Zone happened. He was introduced as member of of the government who hated the Avengers, didn't like them, and basically felt that America didn't need them. And as you like, if you didn't know that he was the Red Skull, you would just think, oh, okay, it's just another government guy who he's a bureaucrat. Yeah, he's a bureaucrat or and has it out for the uh, Avengers. Yeah. yeah, and then when you find out who he really is, uh, it's a pretty uh, cool moment. Yeah. So what's happening, or what what happens at the time was, was it Falcon? Yeah. So Falcon is basically, like, I think he's suffering from the uh, effects of gas or a concussion or something like that. Basically, he's kind of messed up. Well, are you talking about when he discovers that it's the Red Skull? Yeah. Oh, uh, no, no. So what what happens is, this whole time, uh, basically just to keep it brief, the Falcon's been investigating uh, the government on Captain America's orders. And throughout the course of invest- his investigation, he figures out there's something wrong with Del Rusk. But right before he's able to really solve it, uh, he gets attacked by the Red Skull. Or he gets attacked by Del Rusk, who then reveals himself to be the Red Skull. Yeah. And, yeah, basically the Avengers are kind of split up at this point. Uh, the, the main team is investigating uh, the biochemical weapons lab that created the, the weapon in the first place. And that's when they discovered that it came from America. Yeah. Meanwhile, it was the Iron... American-produced weapon. Exactly. exactly. Meanwhile, Iron Man and, and the Black Panther uh, are putting their resources together to try and develop a cure for the people who are already suffering and dying from the virus or the the weapon. And this was also at a time when Cap- uh, when Black Panther and Iron Man were not getting along. It yeah. had been recently been revealed in a. In, a, in the Black Panther comic, that the reason the Panther originally joined the Avengers was because he didn't trust them, and he wanted to spy on them to make sure that they weren't a threat to Wakanda. Yeah. But Iron Man d- didn't take too kindly to that. So there's a lot of tension and uh, simmering enmity between the two men. Mm. But what happens is, they basically get captured by the Red Skull's men, and they end up being the, the ones who have to to fight the re- take the fight directly to the Red Skull. And there's this really cool moment where... Uh, basically Cap is on the ropes, so Tony Stark takes off his helmet so he can like administer CPR and try and revive him. So while he's doing that, the Black Panther goes mano a mano with the Red Skull. Yeah. And the Red Skull being a racist a Nazi. Nazi yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's just one of the most satisfying yeah. fights that I can think of. Black Panther, he takes off his gloves. And basically says, "I'm going to, I'm going to touch you with my hands." Yeah. <laughs> like, and uh, the other thing that oh, I, he uh, says, "I'm going to punch your jaw off." That's yeah. What he says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a really awesome moment. The, the, just the revelation where we find out that Del Rusk is in fact Red Skull. Mm-hmm. It's the way that uh, Olivier Coipel draws it is. Um, I guess they're both really messed up, and their vision gets all fuzzy, and they're, I guess by his, uh, is this symbolic, or was this? He's looking at his name tag right there. Oh, okay, so he's looking at his name tag, and it's Del Rusk, but as his vision goes in and out, like, you come to realize that it's an anagram for Red Skull, (laughs) (laughs) which I thought was great. It's happened in plain sight the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just never thought about it. Yeah, and it ends... And 
at that moment, he's he's basically taken out uh, Falcon and this other guy, and that issue ends with this really great one-page spread of the Red Skull just smiling, and he just goes, I love America. It's the Red Skull's kind of country. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so his basically the Red Skull's plan is to take this attack and blame it on America's enemies so that America can go to war and, you know, just bomb the crap out of them. Yeah, and, what his, and kill as many yeah, minorities or exactly. ethnic people as so possible. So what, what he wanted to do was to blame this attack on Wakanda and, yeah. and just destroy Wakanda. Uh, so it, it just really heightens the stakes and the emotional drama when when he and Black Panther end up fighting each other. Oh, I, I remember the scene, out, like or the dialogue... Red Skull basically looks at the panther and says, those hands, those filthy hands, you won't touch me with those hands. <laughs> and then Black Panther promises him, I'm going to break your jaw. Yeah. And at the very end of the fight, T'Challa literally breaks his jaw. Yeah. He's, Red Skull's... Remember, the thing falls a, off. Yeah. <laughs> he's a skull. <laughs> and he knocks his jaw clean off. Yeah. Another moment that uh, I feel should be given some recognition in this uh, comic, and it's it's a moment that where where I'd like to give recognition to not just Geoff Johns but Olivier Coipel. Um, there's this moment where at initially when the terrorist attack happens and you're just watching all these people die. There's there's this kid running, mm-hmm. and he's running and he's just watched his parents die and he's watched everyone around him dying and you know the government's coming in and you know it's just sheer chaos everywhere mm-hmm. and and the kids over here he's like dragging on his mom's dead body just trying to like he doesn't know what to do he's just trying to you know get her to be okay and then the kid looks up and out of panel, someone says, I promise you, son, we're going to get you home. And it's Captain America, and he just picks up this kid, and it's this one-page one page, uh, splash of just Captain America comforting this child, and it's it's such an awesome page. It is, man. It's yeah. heroic and, and yeah. moving and stirring. And it says everything you need to know about Cap, dude. It does, man. It yeah. says everything. And, and then he ends up giving the kid to the Vision so the Vision can fly him off somewhere to safety where all the other evacuees are being taken. Yeah. And Cap basically says, you know, the boy gets home. I give him our word. Yeah. And by the, at the very end of the story, they actually, you know, go back to this to this boy and you see him, yeah. like, recovering in a, in a hospital bed. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's basically the Avengers telling him, you know, Captain America promised that you would get home. Yeah. It's one of my favorite moments from Red Zone. Yeah, know? like and and this is a this is a story chock full of just great moments. Yeah, yeah. Do you have anything to say about World Trust or? Uh, I liked World Trust. Uh, the art in World Trust was really good. Yeah, it's drawn by Kieran Dwyer and inked by Rick Remender. <laughs> oh, I didn't know he inked it. Yeah, oh. he's an artist, dude. Yeah. People, something. people don't even know. But, uh, yeah, the story of World Trust, which was a story that came right before Red Zone, basically a story that sets up the Avengers as as a, as an entity that really is deserving of the world's trust, because what happens is a bunch of the world's governments get taken away, and the United Nations looks to the Avengers to lead them during yeah. these troubled times while 
they search for what happened to these missing uh, leaders. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's a good story. I, I think the the one failing about it, or the biggest failing about it, is, is that it doesn't really resolve because it feels like Jeff Johns was laying something down uh, for future storylines. But he wasn't really on the book long enough to see those yeah. come to fruition. He ended up signing an he exclusive deal with DC, DC before yeah. his run came up. So there was a lot of story. There yeah, there's a, there's some loose completed. ends, some big yeah. loose ends in that story. Yeah. But I mean, I think just taking it for what it's worth as a story about the idea of the Avengers, it works. Cool. Moving forward, is there? I feel like the next thing that we should at least mention is uh, New Avengers by Bendis. Oh, right, right, yeah. right. That, yeah. So, you can't talk about the Avengers without discussing... I, I don't feel like you can do it without discussing Bendis' run on the Avengers. Cause yeah. It was a significant portion of time. Um, like, right on the off onset of it, or offset... Uh, whatever the word is. <laughs> uh, onset? Uh, like... Right off the bat, <laughs> okay. <laughs> right off the bat, like Bendis, he he takes the team on a pretty wild ride. His very first story is entitled "Avengers Disassembled," yep. and if you know any, if you don't know the Avengers, their uh, rallying cry is "Avengers Assembled." So Avengers Assemble or Assemble, sorry. And this is this was a pretty big story because right right. At the beginning of it, he's already decided that he's just going to do something big and epic, which is basically the Avengers get under attack by something so powerful that it forces them to ultimately end up disbanding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, if you don't know the story, what initially what happens is it seems like it's a bunch of random attacks and a bunch of... Um, random chaotic moments. So She-Hulk loses control while the Kree are invading. Um, and uh, Jack of Hearts comes back from the... Uh, Jack of Hearts, this uh, character who had died in a previous issue, shows up and he's essentially a suicide bomber. Yeah. You know? Yep. So, like, all this stuff just happens on top of each other. Tony Stark becomes an alcoholic again. <laughs> Tony Stark becomes an alcoholic again. Like, it's just too much for the team There's to handle. There's a bunch handle. of Ultrons. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, page after page, some new threat that comes and is just tearing the team apart. Mm -hmm. And eventually, Doctor Strange shows up, or I, you, you might be able to help me with this, but from what I remember, they're, they're kind of trying to figure out what the source of all this chaos is, and... They they begin investigating like magics, I think, right? Well, I guess just to summarize it without getting too bogged down on on the smaller details, it turns out that it's the Scarlet Witch who's yeah. lost control of her powers. Yeah, because exactly. Because she's a mutant who has this hex ability, but she's also a trained magician as well. Yeah, and she lost control of her chaos magic or something to that effect, and that's caused all this chaos and destruction upon the team. It ends up, uh, yeah, it ends up causing the team to disband. I think this story was definitely controversial when it first came out because people were like, what the heck, man? I mean, Avengers have died before. The mansion's been destroyed a bunch of times, but yeah. they never disbanded because of that. So I guess if, if that's 
your uh, viewpoint, then I could understand why it's hard to accept that this would happen. Yeah. But really, the point of it was so Bendis could could do something new. Yeah. So he did that when he first started writing the Avengers, and then the book, the series ended, and then it relaunched under the title New Avengers. Yeah. Which was a whole different, uh, well, not completely different from the mentality of the traditional Avengers, but it was a different roster where I think what he was what he was thinking was how the Avengers being the premier superhero team, you know, at the top of the show, we mentioned how yeah. they're, they're looked upon as the premier team, but, but in reality, in terms of the audience who are buying and reading the comics, they weren't really looked at as the premier team. And I think that's what Bendis wanted to change. Yeah. He decided that in order to make the Avengers the premier team. superhero comic, they should have the premier superheroes on the team. Yeah. Because he looked at the JLA and they had, like, people love Superman and Batman and the Flash and Green Lantern. Every member of the Justice League carries their own individual comic book. Exactly. Whereas if you looked at the Avengers, maybe three of them do. Yeah. And for the most part, everyone else is strictly an Avenger. Yeah. 100% of the time. Yeah. And know? if they do have their own series, it doesn't last very long. Yeah. But Bendis was like, we got to take some of the big guns that Marvel has in terms of name uh, recognition. Re- name recognition and put them on the team. So now you've got Spider-Man on the on the new Avengers. You got Wolverine on the new Avengers. Yeah. And I guess yeah, maybe those are the two like significant additions. Yeah. And then they they added a uh, Luke Cage. Luke Cage, who was always a favorite character of Bendis. Yeah. Uh, he took the Sentry who had been created few years uh, before the storyline but hadn't been used in anything but he is a, a really powerful character a superman level character yeah uh thor wasn't thor was not on the team because at the time thor was dead yeah uh but iron man and captain america were on the team and, and for some reason spider woman was on the team i, I think he's just another favorite that yeah that's true she has. was another favorite of his yeah so he basically made a team with his favorites yeah and some big names yeah <laughs> which is totally <laughs> fair you know yeah it's fine you know it was something different, and at the end of the day, uh, the, the comic was still about a group of heroes that had to gather together yeah. to fight a foe that no single hero could withstand. Yeah, I mean, the early issues of the New Avengers, there's no real team yet. Yeah. It's, the very first story that they have is about a breakout on this prison where all, this, all these supervillains get loose, mm-hmm. and... You know, they don't, there's no superhero team. There's no Avengers to defend them anymore. And all these heroes just. They respond individually and yeah, end up coming together. Exactly. And that's that's their first story is them subduing all this, you know, prison full of insane supervillains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bendis had a really long run. I think the. One of the things that he successfully accomplished was making the Avengers the premier team again. Yeah. I mean, say what you will, whether or not you liked it, or whether you're, whether people, you know, because a lot of people did complain and, and say, you know, this isn't the real Avengers or whatever. Yeah. You know, to me, the Avengers are whoever Marvel says are the Avengers. Yeah. And Bendis did take uh, the comic and make it a success. Yeah. They became uh, one of their top sellers and became the franchise. Yeah. Like, under 
under his run, he he rolled out some very big stories. Mm-hmm. Like he had, you know, years and years of stories that he was building up to. Yeah. Like things like House of M, Secret Invasion. Yep. And um, Dark Rain and Siege. Dark Rain and Siege, exactly. Yeah. Like he just he had a lot of big plans for the Avengers, and we would eventually see a bunch of spinoffs from yeah. the mainstream Avengers books yeah. where, you, again, you get, like, the Dark Avengers or you get the Mighty Avengers, mm-hmm. you know, um, even the Young Avengers to some degree. Yeah, you know? yeah. So and it's all because of Bendis. Yeah, like, he... Yeah, you could tell that he had love for the books and he just decided, if they're the team that's supposed to represent the Marvel Universe, then they should... That's... That's how it should feel, you know? Yeah. Amongst fans. Yeah. Yeah. Let's have Spider-Man and Wolverine on the team. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? Even during that time, if you didn't like what he was doing with the Avengers, Joe Casey did a couple of miniseries that that came out during that period that were more in line with the classic Avengers. Yeah. I think those are worth mentioning, too. Joe Casey, he's definitely one of my favorite writers of all time, but he did... Two miniseries that were eight issues apiece. And they were just called Avengers, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, and the second one was Earth's Mightiest Heroes 2. Mm-hmm. And what he did was he took some older Avengers comics, or Avengers periods, like the from the 60s and then the 70s, basically told, they're not necessarily untold tales, but he kind of retells those old stories, but expands on, expands on them and makes them modern. And I think they're, those are really good comics that if you have uh, any interest in the history of the Avengers, but you just can't really stand Stan Lee's old school dialogue or, <laughs> right. or Roy Thomas or whatever, or David Michelinie, check out Joe Casey's Earth's Mightiest Heroes because he tells stories uh, about the, the traditional old school Avengers, but tells them with, you know, a modern flourish. Yeah. Yeah. Even looking at this, it's you can tell that it's got a lot of the old zany villains, and you know it. It really is a deep dive into their history and makes use of their existing history and just yeah tells it in a new way that's fresh and sounds modern. Yeah, he ha- he yeah. adds a layer of sophistication that wasn't present uh, in the original stories. Another one he did was called Avengers: The Origin, which was a five issue miniseries. That Casey did with art by Phil Noto, and that's basically a retelling of Avengers number one, because the original Avengers origin story was told in one issue. Casey takes that and expands on it and gives it room to breathe and makes it seem. Uh, I mean, it, it's still ridiculous on the surface, but he makes it fun. You know, like it, he takes it from something that looks like some silly '60s idea and, and makes it makes it work for the modern reader. Right, right, right. Uh, while we're on the subject of Avengers miniseries, I think it'd be good to discuss some of the other uh, miniseries that came out at the time, or in more recent memory, like Avengers Endless Wartime by mm. Warren Ellis. Yeah, that's a OGN, an original graphic novel. An OGN, and Mike McCone. Um so for those of uh, you listeners um, who don't, who may not know us too well, or are in the process of getting to know us, uh, you ought to know that we are huge Warren Ellis fans. Oh yeah! And this, this is one of Warren Ellis's finest, finestest, 
<laughs> Finest. <laughs> it's a it's a great like one shot story that you know just uh, it really doesn't tie into too much other than their own personal histories, but I think it's it's a strong. Well, do you want to tell them what it's about, real quick? Yeah. So this comic came out, I think, 2012. Uh, so it was right around the period that Jonathan Hickman's Avengers uh, came out. We talked about that in our very first episode. So won't dive too deeply into that because you already know it's good. And but you already know we got love. Yep. Yep. Endless Wartime comes out with that in that same time period. So the the team is comprised in this comic. It's comprised of Cap, Iron Man, Thor. Uh, Wolverine, Hawkeye. Hawkeye, Black Widow, uh, and, and Hulk shows up in here too. I think Cap- there. Yeah, and Captain Captain Marvel or Carol Carol Danvers. Mm. So this story basically takes the concept of the Avengers uh, Big Three, and they face a threat that somehow tied into all of their past because yeah. it's it's. It's some crazy super science uh, nightmare weapon yeah. that part of the product of uh, Nazi experiments yeah. that Captain America... <laughs> Nazi experiments on like ancient Asgardian creatures exactly. combined with stark technological weaponry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it essentially... So it takes... It's, it's all of their worst nightmares come back to life. Exactly. It takes their existing history and it binds them together with yeah um with a threat that comes from each of their uh, yeah. respective histories or respective uh areas of expertise yeah yeah but I, I think what makes this story stand out also is i mean obviously warren ellis is one of the best writers that there is whether it's comics or other mediums his dialogue is so good and, and he's able to tell a story like this that's got a lot of spectacle, but he also is able to ground it with, with bits of humor and just poignant dialogue that isn't... Yeah. That it's not... It, it, it actually, when you when you really take the time to kind of think about it and, and analyze the subtext of it, it does say something about uh, comics and superhero comics and about the Avengers in particular. Uh, like a, like the, the reason why it's called Endless Wartime is pretty clever... I mean, it, it talks, like we said, it, it's a story about how the things that they thought were in their past are coming back to haunt them in these new nightmares. Yeah. So, like, in that sense, the the war never really ends because they're they're constantly fighting these things that are yeah. coming back. But it's also a commentary on the Avengers, too, in the sense that this is a team who... The war in, you know, the war for justice never ends. Yeah. You know? And... Exactly. That's There's, basically what they're about. Yeah, because their their battle never ends either. You yeah. know, they it's it's almost like Warren Ellis is saying, you know, these are superhero comics. The war will never end. These characters are always gonna be fighting battles over and over. Yeah. Long um, after me and you are, you know, frozen in cryostasis and no longer uh, dormant or no or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, these comics are still going to be going on. Yeah, <laughs> and they're they're going to have all sorts of new stories, and it's it literally is endless for them. Yeah, yeah. There's this uh, poignant scene at the very end of the 
of the story, the last couple pages, Hawkeye and Captain America are reflecting and having a conversation after uh, they've defeated their enemy and they're going back home. And Hawkeye basically says, it never ends, Steve. Only old people think things end. <laughs> it's pretty funny, uh, considering is. how old Captain America is. <laughs> and then Cap says, we won, didn't we? And Hawkeye says, you still don't get it, do you? We avenge the dead. Sometimes that means you. You died in World War II, remember? And then you came back. When you talk all that crap about us being here for each other, you never for a minute think we're Avengers because of you. We don't get to win the war, Steve. But you died and came back, and that lets us believe we can at least win some of the battles. Who knows? Maybe that'll be enough. Also, you are old. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just some great writing right there. Yeah. That's some really great writing. Check out Avengers Endless Wartime. It's it's a hardcover. Yeah. Uh, that's original story. You don't need anything else to... You don't need to know anything else uh, to enjoy it. It if stands you, on its own. Exactly. If you want an Avengers story, you know, just to get your Avengers kick, just something that is super accessible and easy to jump on board... Yeah. Uh, without having to know too much of their prior history or whatever, Endless Wartime is perfect yeah. for that. Yeah, it's the iconic, and I'd say it's an iconic story, and I would say it's, for me, it hits the platonic ideal of what is an Avengers yeah. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, continuing on with Warren Ellis, uh, what we have next is another Avengers story by Warren Ellis that he did on a spinoff, a series of the Avengers called The Secret Avengers. Mm -hmm. um, this was a series that actually had several iterations, and um, which included writers like Ed Brubaker, mm -hmm. um, Warren Ellis, um, and Rick Remender, Rick Remender, uh, Ailes Cott, yeah. Nick Spencer. Yeah. So this this was a series that's been going on for a while, and I would say that the bent for Secret Avengers is that they're kind of a Black Ops Avengers team. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a... Mm -hmm. So if you want to know kind of what their angle is, that's that's essentially their angle is where you have the Avengers as, you know, kind of the public face of the Earth's Mightiest Heroes. The Secret Avengers kind of go, go you know, undercover and do spy Avengers stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not necessarily doing things like political assassinations or anything that uh, that grim. Yeah, but they they do end up fighting a lot of things that people don't know about. Yeah, things that I guess I guess that's sort of the play on the title, right? Because number one, they're not the public face of the team, but they're also fighting threats that are a secret to most of the rest of society. Yeah, but they're fighting the threats. They're fighting a war against foes that. Nobody else knows about, and even if the world did know, <laughs> they wouldn't care. Yeah, they wouldn't care. <laughs> They're just so far, so many levels removed from like where your average person lives, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So the the great thing about uh, this Secret Avengers run by Warren Ellis is that he went into it. I'm assuming knowing that he was only going to do six issues. Mm -hmm. So, he essentially did six issues that were more like vignettes about each 
each it each issue focused on one particular member of the team and just kind of told a pretty self-contained story about why that member is cool. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so he got to work with a lot of really cool artists. Um, McKelvey, Walker, Aja, Lark. Aha. Aha, sorry. <laughs> I just learned that, that yeah, this week. I just learned that David Aja's name is actually pronounced David Aha. Right. <laughs> you know, like the band. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Take on me. <laughs> uh, Alex Maleev and Stuart Immonen. Um, yeah. And they're all just great artists. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, they're, it's it's kind of just six individual stories about the random members on the team at, of this iteration of the team. So you had, there was one about Shang-Chi, it was uh, Black Widow, mm -hmm. Moon Knight, mm -hmm. War Machine, and Valkyrie. Valkyrie, Cap. Yeah. Or, you know, as he was called at the time, just Steve Rogers, I guess. Yeah. Steve Rogers, Super Soldier. Yeah. Sharon yeah. Carter's on the team. Sharon Carter. Do you want to go into any of the particular stories that... Uh, uh, I'm just going to say that it, it, it's Warren Ellis doing uh, an Avengers version of Global Frequency. Oh, right, right, right. Totally. Because Global Frequency was a comic he did uh, for uh, Wildstorm yeah. back in the early 2000s. Each issue was... Uh, a done-in-one story, but there were, was yeah. an overall uh, concept where it was basically an excuse for, for Warren Ellis to do formal experimentation uh, and science fiction stories uh, that were done-in-one with a different artist every issue. Mm. So you could just read any random issue and not really feel like you're missing anything. Yeah. I think that's how his run on Secret Avengers works where each issue is standalone, there is kind of an overarching uh, backstory and, and subplot to it. But even if you didn't read it, or if you read them out of order, you wouldn't really be losing too much, uh, because each issue is so strong on its own. Each of these artists is really talented in his own right. Yeah. Warren Ellis is really good at telling a story within the confines of 22 pages. And I think... The other thing that makes his run so special is the level of craft involved because his ability to do some formal experimentation within the medium makes the comics an even deeper read. And I want I would point to uh, the issue he did with Alex Maleev, uh, which focused on Black Widow, and it was a time travel story. I was just about yeah. to talk about that and one. If you guys want to learn something about Albert, he hates time travel. I do. I can't stand stories where we have to go back in time and prevent something from happening. Yeah. Because I live my life constantly moving forward in time with the realization that I can't go back and change any of the mistakes that I've made. Yeah, and there, that's a lot of mistakes. <laughs> that's a lot of mistakes that we can't go back and change. My life is nothing but regrets. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, even if you could go back in time and meet your past self, what would you do? Just punch him in the face because it's his fault that your <laughs> life is the way it is now. Exactly. Yeah. See? We don't get a mulligan. Yeah. Why should I read a story about other people changing their lives for the better? Yeah. If anything, <laughs> even if we could have a time machine, we'd probably just screw things up and yeah. make things even worse. I'll probably end up being like a frog person when I get back to normal time. Yeah. But uh, when Warren <laughs> Ellis did his... <laughs> Warren Ellis does his time travel story with, with the Black Widow, and 
there's it. It's, it's a clever use of time travel. To it be is. honest. Yeah. Because the story starts out. I mean, we're okay with um, what's called spoiling, right? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So the story starts out with a couple members of the team dying. Yeah. And Black Widow. Like, so, you know, as a reader, you're like, oh, man, that's it. Team's dead, right? <laughs> <laughs> but then it's clever because she gets flung back into time to a point before it all happens. Mm -hmm. And she basically has to orchestrate everything back to the way it was, except to make the changes necessary to avoid their deaths. But at the same time, they still have to look like they died. Yeah. Yeah, and that, it's it's really, it's clever and not annoying. <laughs> yeah, and the artwork yeah. is really good because yeah. cause Alex Maleev changes up his art for the different scenes throughout uh, throughout history. Yeah. Even, there, there's even some scenes where he draws them in kind of that old old school, like, 1950s newspaper strip. Right, like a, right. Like, almost like a Dick Tracy kind of thing. Right, right. But it, it's done in his style. Right. Yeah, it's just really good stuff. Um, I think if you want to learn about comics and how to tell a story and how to craft stories, this is definitely something that you could read uh, to kind of develop and hone that. Because you can analyze these comics. Uh, yeah, you can. Yeah, they're superhero comics. So if if you're pretentious, you know, you could be like, "Oh, there's nothing too too uh, complex complex about, about it," but. You know, Warren Ellis is a master of the craft, and the artists that he got to work with on these comics are masters in their own right as well. Yeah. I'll they, tell you they what. They do stuff. If you're pretentious, you don't have to call them comics. You can call them graphic novels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Does that make you feel better? Huh? Does it? <laughs> yeah. It, I don't know. I don't know. It's That's a good question. <laughs> Uh, they're not comics, mother. <laughs> These are graphic novels. Comics are for children. We're grown men. We read graphic <laughs> novels. Do you want to go into some of the other um, spin-off series that existed? Uh, we did talk a little bit about Secret Avengers by Rick Remender. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Rick Remender also did a series called Uncanny Avengers, which kind of touches upon uh, his... Maybe not as much of his Secret Avengers run, but he also did a series called Uncanny X-Force. Yeah. And Uncanny Avengers is kind of a follow-up to that. So Uncanny Avengers, uh, the premise of it is, it takes place at a time right after this event comic called Avengers vs. X-Men. Yeah. Which ended with uh, the death of Professor Xavier and the uh, mutant community uh, being hated even more than yeah. ever. Uncanny Avengers... Uh, picks up on that and basically says that Captain America realizes that, you know, things shouldn't be like this, that he needs to do something to promote unity. Yeah. So he ends up creating this thing called the Avengers Unity Squad, which yeah. is a superhero team, an Avengers team com comprised of traditional Avengers and mutants. X-Men. X-Men slash mutants. Yeah. yeah. So the team is, uh, it's Captain America, Thor, and Scarlet Witch who's also a mutant, but she's traditionally uh, an Avenger. And they add Rogue, Havoc, Sunfire, uh, Sunfire, Wolverine, yeah. the Wasp, and yeah. Wonder Man. Yeah. So it's a pretty uh, heavy-duty roster yeah. with a good mix of Avengers and mutants. It's a fun uh, 
series of only because you kind of get to see Avengers uh, interacting with characters you wouldn't normally yeah. see them hanging out with. Yeah. So, yeah, like, just the idea that the Wasp and Havoc would develop feelings for one another. Is yeah. Like, what? Okay. <laughs> okay. I've never seen that. He's giving me something new. <laughs> yeah. Totally, man. And a lot of the stories are pretty off the wall. They're, like, Rick Remender has... He's got vision, you know? Yeah. I, I will say this about him. The man has vision, and he does... He he likes he likes some of those bad '90s comics that we we tend to rag on a little bit. But I don't even know if I if he likes them. But he's he's got clearly got some affection, and he's yeah, willing to to take those like silly old concepts and kind of clean them up and yeah. make them more palatable. Like in their first several arcs, I think they take on. So the Red Skull steals Professor X's brain yep. and uses it to. Give him enhanced psycho, uh, like telepathic powers, so that he can, like, be a beacon or or not even a beacon, like a, a what's it called? He's a mad bomb of hate. He's yeah. He he basically can use his powers to affect the people around him and make them all feel immense feelings of hate and anger. Yeah. So he's going around and he's you know making them, uh, just riot and just stirring up crap within the human mutant community. Yep. And it ends with them learning, or they're, they're about to kill him or something like that, but what it end, what ends up happening is they realize that if they destroy the brain, he, like, unleashes the full potential of his power, and he becomes this thing called Red Onslaught. <laughs> now, if you've read 90s comics, that is, like, Onslaught was this character who was kind of just a pretty out-there character... Like, I don't think he's a character that's particularly aged well, or yeah. was even that great to begin with, but whatever, yeah. you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, hate, but just the idea that there's a red onslaught is a pretty, pretty, like, wild and out there idea, it, 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 even now, me talking about it with you, like, there's a big grin on both of our faces. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> it's a funny concept, you know? It's something I never would have thought about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Another nice thing that I, I think Remender did was how because you mentioned uh, he takes these characters that you don't normally see them interacting with each other and puts them all together under one roof. Uh, there was a scene I think it was issue five uh, after the first storyline happens and the team starts settling down and trying to like coalesce. Uh, you, you you've got Rogue and, and Havoc and Wolverine moving into uh, the Avengers mansion. And there's a scene where Rogue takes down the... There's, like, this really big painting of the founding members of the original Avengers. She takes it down and puts on a picture of Professor Xavier. <laughs> and the Wasp walks in and she's like, Excuse me, what are you doing? Who do you think you are? <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny. <laughs> it's pretty funny, man. But it, at the same time, it's, it's a very in-character kind of interaction. Yeah. Yeah, because what love does Rogue have for the Avengers? What what have the Avengers ever done for mutants? What have exactly. they ever done for the X Men? So she's she's clearly got no reverence for the Avengers. Yeah, we've been talking a lot about how the Avengers are the premier superhero team, right? But they're really only the premier superhero team for mainstream 
for for people, yeah, regular for, people, yeah, for, for Homo sapiens. Yeah, but to her, they're yeah. the man. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and and that was such a cool thing to to see. Yeah. You know, so now it's like she's got to figure out a way to work with the man. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, she was on the outside, but now she's in. She's yeah, establishment now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty great. Yeah, uh, I like it. Uncanny Avengers by Rick Remender. Yeah, it's good stuff. Fun superhero comics. So we're winding down our time now. Uh, before we, we finish off, Albert, let me ask you, what do you think, uh, what are your thoughts about the upcoming Infinity War movie? Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it's I I don't think that I'm in the minority in believing that. It's I've I've been a fan of um, the Avengers movies thus far, mm-hmm. um, and I think my excitement just grows with each one, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, there are a lot of things that are happening that it that just caused me to ask a lot of questions, uh, just in terms of how's it all going to end. You know, there's a lot of rumors, a lot of backstory going on mm-hmm. right now uh, regarding actors leaving, and you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this all looks when all the movies are done. Yeah, yeah, that's, for sure. That's that's kind of where I'm at. You, is there any one thing that you think this movie needs to have in order to really make you feel like that is the Avengers, as opposed to just the movie where you see all these stars and superheroes come together and, and punch out a bunch of CG and move on? You know what? I do think that the things that they have shown us in the commercials are the things that I would need to see. Mm. You know, just Captain America and an entire army of guys just leading an army of men against whatever the threat is. Or the one thing that I personally wanted to see was Captain America taking on Thanos Mm -hmm. one-on-one. And, like, uh, I mean, this might be something to talk about at a later podcast, but uh, there, I do feel like a lot of the inspiration for this movie was drawn. Clearly, it was drawn from various places, but one of the one of the inspirations was Infinity Gauntlet, mm-hmm. and there's just a scene in Infinity Gauntlet. Okay, for those of you who may have never read Infinity Gauntlet, um, just a quick recap: it's a story about Thanos getting the Infinity Gems or Stones, as we're calling them now, and getting his gauntlet together and using his powers to just run amok in the universe as a mad god. He literally wipes out half the population of the universe. Yeah, just for fun. He does it to appease death. Yeah. Because he's in love with death. Yeah. And, and by death, I mean... Literally. Pers- yeah, the personif- <laughs> like the female personification of death. Yeah. <laughs> he loves her. <laughs> he's, he's in love with her, and he felt that... How else do you impress death if yeah. she was a person? Because everything he had been doing up to that point wasn't winning her affection yeah so he felt like he had to go the extra extra mile and do something that would win her heart yeah but yeah i mean that 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 was um one of his initial plans was just to kill half the population of the universe and over time i imagine he would have killed the other half (laughs) 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 um but there's this scene where and, like, I would like to talk about Infinity Gauntlet 
at length someday. But uh, well, but again, maybe for a later podcast. Mm-hmm. But there was this scene uh, in Infinity Gauntlet where all the superheroes amass this massive army. The to surviving go, superheroes. The surviving superheroes yeah. to take on Thanos. So they just show up on this space platform where Thanos is just hanging out and they they basically try to take him on, you know, and like everybody's just throwing everything they got at Thanos and Thanos is just killing them one by one in these really creative ways, yeah. you know? But the the thing that I wanted to see and that I'm that they put a variation of in this movie is so at the end of the battle everyone is dead. And the only surviving hero is Captain America. And, you know, he's just kind of staring Thanos down and just giving him, you know, mean mugging him, right? And he just slowly walks up to him and he just looks him in the eye and says, as long as one of us stands, uh, as long as only, if even one of us stands up to you, we still have a chance or something like that. You know, like we, mm-hmm. we've won. And, you know, Thanos proceeds to swat him like a fly, and I'm pretty sure he breaks his neck, but... <laughs> but that was a great moment! <laughs> Which part? The part where he walks up to Thanos, or the part where he gets swatted like a fly? <laughs> I thought you liked the Avengers. I, I do, thought you I liked do. Captain America. I, I, they, Why do you like seeing him get hurt like they that? They gotta be underdogs, man. I gotta believe that they can come back from behind. <laughs> they gotta... The Avengers, to me have to be a fourth quarter team <laughs> they gotta be losing up until the fourth third quarter and then in the fourth quarter they come back hard <laughs> that's my avengers <laughs> what about you drew what are your thoughts on the movie i'm definitely looking forward to it too i'm excited for it i think the commercials and trailers for it have been pretty entertaining so far and i yeah i'm pretty much in your boat um i think in terms of of things that i would want I really want to see. Yeah, it's like you said, I think the commercials have kind of, uh, you know... They've cherry-picked the best parts. Yeah, yeah. they they make me feel confident that I'm going to be watching an entertaining movie. Yeah. And especially with the last Captain America movie, and even the last Avengers movie, I, I was satisfied with those. I wasn't let down yeah. by them. Um, the Russos, the Russo brothers are working on this mm-hmm. Avengers, right? Yeah. And the Russo brothers also did Civil War. Yeah. And yeah. Winter Soldier. And Winter Soldier. So those Winter Soldier and Civil War, in my opinion, are two of the best Marvel movies. Like they're they're definitely in the top tier of the Marvel movies that currently do exist. Yeah. So if they're working on this Avengers film, I I have no, I have they have my confidence. Yeah. Essentially. Totally. Yeah. Totally. You think that there's uh. Just speaking in terms of the Avengers movies uh, as a whole in general, do you think that they are able... Have they been able to kind of live up to the concept of the Avengers as we discussed uh, at the beginning of the episode? Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it helps that the way that in which the movies were produced, especially really early on in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, the the way that they did a slow roll and a slow build-up of introducing all these characters until we finally get the Avengers movie. Mm-hmm. That's I think that's very much in the spirit of the Avengers, you know? Yeah. In, in the sense that, oh, these 
we have these heroes that exist, and then there was a a threat in like hovering in the background, which they, you know, kind of gave you glimpses of in the other movies. And then finally, when the Avengers movie did happen, that was when the threat had become fully formed, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what the Avengers is all about. If, if we're talking about how the Avengers are a team that are defined by their by the threats, and that you know they can only come they can only kind of shine or shine their brightest when when they are facing those um, the threats that again that no other hero can face on their own or individually mm-hmm. well that was a perfect avengers the first avengers movie was a perfect summation of that mm-hmm. you know yeah. in my book like it, it was it it was perfect how they built it up, and how find, when we finally get there, it was a culmination of that story. Yeah, and and that trend continues even now, as the threats that did exist were just kind of precursors to what we're going to see in, you know, uh, Avengers, Thanos, yeah, Black Order, exactly, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, do you think that uh? What do you think about how they're bringing in uh, everybody to be in this movie? I mean, you're going to have the Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, Doctor Strange, and whatnot. Yeah, for me, again, my first Thanos story, or the one that I grew up with and the one that left the greatest impact on me, was Infinity Gauntlet. Mm -hmm. And the thing that was great about Infinity Gauntlet was it had everybody, you know? Mm-hmm. There were, there'd been other uh, crossovers in the past. You know, there was Secret Wars and, you know, um, I guess, like, Evolutionary Wars or Atlantis Attacks or whatever. <laughs> yeah, all the summer annual crossovers. Yeah, but I, I don't know if it was just when I was coming up or when I was growing up and, like, if uh, the Infinity Gauntlet just happened to be that story, but I, I still have a lot of fondness for that story mm-hmm. and for the spectacle of just getting all these superheroes together to, like, again, if, if, if we go with the idea that the Avengers are a team that unites everybody, then it's only fitting that this final Avengers movie or, you know, not even final, but, you know, this this uh, Avengers movie that's leading up to kind of their their um, end, mm-hmm. um, I'm assuming, should include everybody, yeah. you know? Yeah. The Guardians, as well as, you know, Doctor Strange and Ant-Man, and just every character that you can throw in there. Like, it, it's, it's so fitting, and it's just something that I'm prepared for. Do you think that there should be a moment in Infinity War... Where all of the heroes line up, and Cap says, "Avengers <laughs> assemble," and they just charge at Thanos. That's perfect, actually. Like <laughs> when you mentioned that, like you're right. The, every Avengers movie has to have an Avengers assemble. I mean, that's that's their rallying cry, man. You can't not do it. <laughs> have they said that in the movies? I, I can't even remember. It's been a while since I've seen them. Yeah, definitely worth a rewatch. Yeah. yeah. Maybe uh maybe I'll rewatch the old Avengers movies before this new one. We could try to do that thing where we can sit in the theater for thirteen hours or seventeen hours. Uh, 
I don't, I don't know. I don't think I'll watch all the Marvel movies. I was just thinking yeah. about watching the Avengers and and uh, the first two Avengers movies. That's a lot easier than watching yeah. fifteen or I don't even know how many there are now. There's there's too many. Absolutely, absolutely. That would be an intense experience though to actually watch all those movies in a short span of time. I feel like it'd be fun to do just just for the heck of it, but I don't know if I could do it again. Yeah. And I climbed up Kilimanjaro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So. Yeah. So. Uh, I think that I think that sums it up for us. I think uh, we've had a good discussion today, just kind of covering what the Avengers means to us and uh, some of the highlights of uh, some of the greatest Avengers stories that you can read. Yeah. So if you want to get, if you want to get something to read just to get you in mood for the movie so that you can, you know, get a better appreciation for what the team is about, you know, please feel free to follow our recommendations. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And if there's a story that, you think we missed out on or that you want to recommend as well, you know, feel free to hit us up, uh, shoot us a line in the comments or email us at between the gutters podcast.com. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to mention? Uh, I, I just want to give a shout out to my friend Men Vung. Uh, he, he's been supporting us and uh, his company is the beefy co he sells shirts and uh, plushes as well as other um, items. Feel free to check out his website, look him up online, and uh, you know, I, it's the closest thing to a sponsor that we've got so far. What's what's his website? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's the beefyco.com. Uh, just look it up on Google. I'll I'll try again with the website. And nice. a later time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, thank you guys all for, for listening. Uh, yeah. I think that's that's about it then. You're listening to Between the Gutters. This is Albert Lamb signing off. This is Drew Tan signing off. We'll catch you on the flip side. Peace. <laughs>